You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Storyteller Conclave. I am Sarah. I am Rob. And uh, we are a podcast about the uh, about running tabletop role-playing games. Uh, between the two of us, I think we have about, uh, what would you say, about 50 years of uh, game running experience. Something like that. Between. I don't think the first, like... 20 years were all that great but oh no 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 i mean we're all we're all junk at it uh yeah. back, in, back in the day but uh hopefully uh we get to share a little bit of our knowledge uh to discuss a number of topics on this podcast um having to do with uh our techniques and various stories to tell and such like that different game systems um i know D is kind of the the new hot now right now but, oh yeah definitely uh, you know, we'll certainly do a great job of uh of, of covering that topic but it's definitely not the only game out there and we're mm-hmm. not gonna not going to sit on that, um, but uh, hopefully we can share a little bit of that knowledge with uh, all of you and make everybody's stories just a little bit better all around. Yes. Speaking of stories, we have a topic for this week that uh, I think is poignant to most people, and that is what are the fundamentals of building a good tabletop role-playing experience? You know, what makes us influence, what systems we use, and how we bring about that to to put a story in place. Because really, we're talking about storytelling. We're not just talking about rolling dice and, and sticking to plans necessarily, but all kinds of game systems. Yeah. So I think that's, that's probably the, the biggest question you see in a lot of, um, you know, storyteller uh, 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 forums and such like that, um, where people, people always want to know, like, well, hold on, it's my first time being a dungeon master or being a storyteller, um, how do I how do I do this? Right, right. I mean, you a lot of people come at it with the the mind frame that they only see D and D because it is the biggest thing out there. Mm-hmm. It is the easiest thing, but I mean, that's also just the U.S. We have all kinds of systems that run out of other countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the longest time, I know that Shadowrun was one of the most popular things Germany had ever had. And I think it still is exceptionally popular over there. So that's their first go-to. You know, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that until you just said that. But it makes so much sense. It is. It is. It it's makes funny. so much sense. So when we talk about game systems, we're talking about it in general. But I think we're a lot of people will bring focus back to D&D just to kind of give a lot of our uh, listeners who've been – Doing that as a main system is as a catch, but we're definitely not going to focus on that, and sure. uh, we'll, we're going to go kind of far. So, when we're talking about systems, we're gonna we're I want to kind of start this out with a question to Sarah that that we frame up. When you think of running a game, what are the first two systems that come to your mind? What are your favorites that you want to run on? Oh goodness, um, and why? Okay, look, I I have I have a list of favorites. Is is you know a mile long. You know this is um, only an hour show. Oh no 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 no! I I know okay. I know. Uh, <laughs> we'll 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 get there. Trust All me. All right, fair fair. Um, I mean I, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of of, of Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Uh, okay, but uh, it's I I wouldn't even say it's my my it's definitely not my first love. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, I've been playing for a very long time. Uh, I would say if I've got two systems that I think would exemplify my style of role playing. 
uh, there are two that come to mind. Okay. Uh, the first is um, the Aeonverse in oh, yeah. general. Okay, you, you might want to dig into that a little bit because I don't think everybody knows what that I, is. You know, so few people know about it and that's such a shame to me. Um, so White Wolf Games, um, a lot of a lot of people who are familiar with tabletop role playing. Vampire know, the Masquerade. You no, know, Vampire the Masquerade, <laughs> Werewolf, all that jazz, the World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a while, they had this other side product called the Aeonverse and it had three game systems that came with it. And unlike the World of Darkness, it didn't share the World of Darkness at all. It was a separate, a completely separate thing. And uh, unlike the World of Darkness where all the games ran kind of concurrent to each other in the same universe at the same time, the Aeonverse was three separate games that took place in three different um, times. Eras almost. Uh, yeah, three different eras. The first was a pulp action adventure game mm-hmm. called Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society. And it was great for, uh, like I said, pulp action, telling stories like uh, Indiana Jones was is probably a, a prime example if oh, I'm yeah. going to give you oh, one. Yeah. Um, telling those type of, of rocketeer stories. things like that. Rocketeer, perfect, perfect yeah. example. Um, and then uh, Sky Captain, World of Tomorrow, yeah, yeah. another great one. Yep. Um, and then uh, fast forward to modern day uh, is Aberrant, which is more of a superhero style game oh, yeah. with a little bit of a white wolf twist to it, and that it's a little darker, a little grittier, a little more realistic. You know, deals with the consequences of normal people having superpowers. Yeah, I liked. Uh, I remember the system pretty well, and I liked the setting and the fact that. It, it was more realistic about what would happen if superheroes were part of our world. You know, how much effect would they have? Who's really the power side? But you also got the kind of cl- classic, uh, m- you know, I would say almost Marvel of good guy, bad guy vibe going yeah, on there yeah, too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, if you ever wanted to play a uh, bulletproof superhero that stands there and grins while your enemies empty a machine gun on you and you mock them for their right, impudence, right. that's the game for you. Okay. Um, and then uh, the third part takes place in the future uh, after kind of these two other universes have gone to crap um, and it's uh, it's called Trinity. And kind of takes place out in the stars and your major people are like psionic warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, admittedly, the game that I'm least uh, least into of the two. Right. Um, or three. But uh, – oh, sorry, of the three, yeah. Uh, but definitely like that's that's one of my go-to systems okay. right there. Okay, okay. Um, just because I love, I love how in-depth it is and I love just the – it's such a departure from your typical swords and sorcery stuff mm-hmm. to play either a superhero or a pulp action – Hero. Okay. So you're going to count that as one. That's kind of one. The okay. Aeon versus one. All right. Okay. All right. Now, the second one, um, I think even fewer people know. Oh. Um, and you may not even remember, but we played it for a short time. Okay. Uh, introduced to us by our bear friend, Matthew. Okay. Uh, as a, a little system called WR and M. Oh, yes. Okay. So WNR and M is by Stargazer Games. Right. And uh, it's a downloadable PDF. I think you can find it up on drivethroughrpg.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a it's a free game system. Uh, the whole PDF I want to say is about ten pages long. It's like Warrior Rogue Mage. Well, yeah, WRNM stands for Warrior yeah. Rogue and Mage. Right. Okay. Um, thusly, because those are the three attributes. Yep. That's it. Yep. Um, skills are either you have them or you don't. Yep. Uh, and there's only a small handful of skills. Uh, there's only a small handful of spells. It's all very free form. Your entire character can, sheet can fit on a post-it note. Mm-hmm. And it. Uh, 
I one thing that uh, as 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 this podcast continues and we get more episodes, I'm, you're, we're going to keep coming back to this. And I know oh, yeah. I'm calling it right now. I'm going to say this at least once an episode. I'm a huge fan of rules light systems. You know, I think at some point we're going to have to have like a side discussion oh, about yeah, yeah. the as you age in gaming, what changes about you as a storyteller. Yes, yes. And exactly. I, I think that's a huge discussion. I think we're going to have to pull like we might have to have like a team on here because there's enough of us storytellers out there uh, and who who would probably want to be part of that discussion to see whether we can call it an evolution mm-hmm. or a de-evolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I think it's an evolution. I think, uh, I think we all kind of go through stages, but we'll we'll get there. That's yeah. that's a future discussion. Right, right. But yeah, WRNM I, I really like it because it's really nothing more than your classic swords and sorcery st- uh, style game system, but it's it's so cut down from a rule standpoint that you can just kind of forget that rules exist mm-hmm. and just get to telling the story and that's one of the things that like I, I I like a very story driven game. So you got your two. You got your Ant Society where it's this rich world mm-hmm. with a system that's, you know, White Wolf in essence. Yeah, yeah. You know, but has a lot of content to play with. And 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 the game system has a lot of character right. is what I'm saying. Oh no, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. I'm with you. I think we'll get kind of back to that when we continue this. Definitely. And then your other side is the rules light almost no content mm-hmm. where you're building the world behind it but you've got this very light rule system. So yes. I like that. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. All right. So I already know I already know your answer, at least part of your answer. Okay. But we're okay. going to turn it right back around. Okay. What's, if you're going to reach for a system, what is it? What's it going to be? Well, I I started probably with one of the worst systems ever, which was Palladium because I was not good at math. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's right, that's right. Uh, it is it is I I don't want to say it's a math system. Everybody says that it's it's all about math. It's, it's really about spreadsheets. It's, it's just it's dense. It is very dense. Just, there's there's all kinds of rules in Palladium and you have to have books and stacks of them and the more books you have the worse it gets but uh, that was actually my fate my my first system yeah. uh, playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh. and other strangenesses oh yeah we'll get we'll get to those worlds oh, oh. yeah so but not my favorite not my favorite mm-hmm. a, a classic to me because I started with Robotech of all things which again oh, yeah. another rich world that actually brought me into it and I I played the game more than I actually watched the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you see the Robotech books on my on the, oh, the, yeah. the, the Twitter oh, yeah. background. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So uh, that being said, the system that really grabbed me, even after D and D and after all this stuff, with Seven C, and you know this because you've been in my games. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we literally, I think, have ran a game for seven years. Uh, I mean, off with, and on with, with, with yeah, with with some hiatus in there, but yeah. Uh, definitely yeah. Well, my D and D game definitely ran for seven years. We'll, we'll, we won't get to that, but. Uh, yeah, so 7C for me, for those who don't know, it actually has two editions. A new edition just came out. Thanks, John, and the rest of your crew. Uh, and uh, I'll get to the day that my little fanboy situation that happened with one of the content creators for that. But uh, 7C is a dramatic game system. And like mm-hmm. your Aeon game, it has a rich history that is actually based on fables that we already know. So a lot of it comes second nature to you. You know, they're talking when they talk about the Fae and they talk about she and they talk about uh, you know, the dark woods of Aizen and the the things that can catch you there and you talk about courtesans and you talk about, you know, fire mages. Each one of these things is kind of the fable view of the world and I, and I could get into it for hours but I'll keep it simple mm-hmm. that it's a dramatic system. It's based on heroes who are doing heroic things against villainy. So one of the biggest things about that system that I like is the fact that there's literally the basic rule is he, villains kill heroes. Br- brutes don't. 
That you'll never die from a brute squat. You can be knocked out. Exactly. You can be captured. You can be inconvenienced. Exactly. They might steal your stuff. But yep, yep. And so that system's always endeared me. I've always loved it. I, I'll keep coming back to it in, in first or second edition. And I'm I'm getting used to second edition, but I keep pulling back to my first edition roots. Uh, and so my second system, I'm gonna have to say, I really do like adventure. Like you ran me in Adventure of the First System and I fell in love with it and I fell in love with it because of the pulp nature of it, that I found that it was rich and beautiful when you played it Mm -hmm. and you could do a lot more than you thought. Like you could alter the world and that meant something to me, that your character had a point where you could do your own bit of storytelling in it and that kind of turned me on to some other systems that I've gotten – a lot of enjoyment out and we'll kind of step into that a little bit here um, in discussing things because I know that we we want to get through this topic a little bit more than just talking about what our favorite stuff is. Sure, sure, sure. So some of the other systems that we touch upon when we look at things and I think this is evolution as a storyteller is it's always good to go and step into other systems. Mm-hmm. Um, Urban Shadows is a system that uh, actually uh, a friend of mine uh, I believe wrote and is part of her uh, – whole uh, publishing company uh, and it is a story – group storytelling. It, there is no – I mean there is a GM who keeps track of plot, the the story as it's going but you're altering the story as mm-hmm. a team and you're, you're adding points and pulling strings and it is a different type of storytelling than your classic D&D. It feels like it's, it's – uh, from that description, it feels like it's based a lot around that, that common improv rule of yes and – it is. It is. And and when you make hard stops in that story, it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of impact. But I mean right from the start, you build the world together. Mm-hmm. You build the setting together. Your characters have – your classes are simplistic. You're a ghost or you're a, a hunter mm-hmm. or you're a something. And then beyond that, you're picking tropes about your character and moving through it. So – and I, I, I describe this in the sense that there are so many systems out there, both simple and complex, both storytelling-based and dice-based, that you really have to look at when you're going to go into a story, you have to look at it as what do I want to get out of this theme? Right, right. What sort of story am I trying to tell here? Right. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a really great segue kind of into our ne- next topic and that is you know picking the right system for the story that you want to tell. Um, because really, all of these game systems out there, and, they're, and they're, I mean, there's there's a myriad game systems. Is I mean, we've really scratched the surface. Oh yeah, here, oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. For those of you who only know D and D, you know, I, I mean, I, I think back to a conversation I had with my friend Eric uh, a little while ago, um, where he had gotten me into Critical Role, mm-hmm. um, and through he really didn't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. He found Critical Role through somebody else and uh, introduced him to that, um, and. Through listening to it, he was like, you know, I kind of want to give this a try. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And he posted on Facebook and he says, I, I, I want to play, but I don't, I don't know how. How do I do this? And of course, immediately, I'm like, I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> um, so I, I, I called him and I, I said, okay, well, you know, I mean, there's, there's Dungeons and Dragons, sure, but you know, what other, what type of story are you looking for? You know, I've got all these other game systems I could run for you. What, what were you looking to play? And he went. Wait, wait, there's more? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you sweet summer child. Oh, yeah. And we had a long talk and we actually ended up – we ended up on Aberrant okay. uh, of all okay. things. I ran that for a short while. Turned out not to be his flavor. So we, sure. we got into Dungeons and, Dra- uh, Dungeons and Dragons at that point. My mm-hmm. boyfriend is running that for us now. Oh, nice, nice. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, the fact is though is that there are um, 
uh, just a myriad of different different game systems out there, and they all have kind of a uh, a feel to them, a flavor to them, mm-hmm. and things that they do well. Mm-hmm. And things that they don't do particularly well. Right. Like if I wanted in-depth combat, I would not pull out WRNM. No. I mean because it's really like roll a D6. Do you hit or not? Right. I you mean, know, kind of very bare bones. But if I wanted to more sit around and do like a campfire story where I were just telling a story and playing our characters and I don't really care about the rules, that's when I'm going to pull a WRNM. Right. And just as much as like if I if I wanted to have a heavy intrigue game where mm-hmm. literally I, I'm going to have a storytelling but really my storytelling is about pulling and pushing from players, I'm not going to play D&D. Like D&D is a – the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of D&D is I think of combat and I almost think of story on rails. Like you're going – it is your classic quest-based story. Well, and, and that's, that's really – I mean touching back to the origins of it. Yeah. I mean oh, Gary yeah. Gygax wrote that as like it's literally just dungeon crawling. Correct. And some people asked along the way like what if we weren't in the dungeon? Right. Oh, God, guys. We could <laughs> we, well, could, we could do so much more with this. You right. Know? And like you had talked to me about uh, Dread, mm, which yeah. is a horror game. Like I, I would never have considered using a Jenga tower – as a way of moving through a game. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's the, a the concept mechanic. behind this is is funny as hell, and, and I'm going to try and explain it as best I can because again, I haven't played it. Sure, sure. But sure. the way you told it to me was perfect. Was that as you want to do things, you literally have to pull blocks out of a Jenga tower, and then when the tower falls, that player is removed from game, and it's reset. And then you pull more blocks. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea behind that sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> well, it's, it's terrifying for two reasons because first off, a Jenga tower offers you something that dice can't and that is diminishing returns. Right. Like if you roll a d20 and you roll a 20 or you roll a 1, there's nothing stopping it from showing up as a 20 or a 1 next time. Having a great and night. And so, yeah, if you're having a great night, you could roll 20s all night. You're mm-hmm. never going to use that luck up. Right. But a Jenga tower, every block you pull, it gets – it gets ricketier and ricketier. Right. And the the other the other thing that it does, and this is I, I think probably the most brilliant thing about it, is that you only use one Jenga tower and it just sits in the middle of the table. So as it gets weaker and weaker and it starts wobbling as that person's pulling that that block out, you're feeling that palpable sense of oh god, oh god, oh of god, dread. What is of dread? Yeah. Of <laughs> dread. It's right there in the yeah. name. Yeah. And everybody's holding their breath, and everybody's like, oh, what's gonna? Ha-? You know, you don't you don't necessarily feel that on the roll of a die. Right. Roll of a die. You know, right. it's, it's you know, and then you've got games like Palladium, like we had talked about, mm-hmm. where literally instead of you choosing, you basically roll dice, like in the case of uh, of turtles, mm-hmm. where it's I'm creating something literally whole cloth, but I don't necessarily – maybe I'm not that creative, but mm-hmm. I, I want to come up with something. So I'll just keep rolling on tables to develop something oh, sure. new. Sure. And, so that, and then you can move it into a world. So that's a totally different way of looking at it. So this, I think – so we when we talk about starting a story, we're talking about Picking what system is going to give you the feeling that you want out of it, that you want your story and your players to feel as they're going through it. I mean I think there's a, a whole cloth story or a whole a whole section we can talk about when we describe what players might want or might not want. But I think that we're – you know, that's a topic that we could go for hours on its own. Sure, sure But I sure. think as a storyteller, you need to focus on what feeling you're trying to evoke. Mm-hmm. And I think picking a system that – or – Homebrewing 
taking an existing system and giving it a twist. Yeah, exactly. And, and homebrewing can, can be a lot of different things too. I mean uh, I know I have homebrewed an entire Dungeons & Dragons world with yep. – uh, and I've gone as far as like I, I think I've, I think my my homebrew D and D world I think I've played in three different systems. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I played it in Dragonlance Fifth Age. Who? No, okay. there is a there's a there, yeah. arcade yep. game system. Yep. Uh, a little bit of uh, Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition, um, but it, this is all something that I wrote myself. You know, right. kind of your your typical homebrew of yeah, sure it's D and D, but it's my D and D. It's house rules, right? Here's what my rules look like, but. Um, you know, we were kind of talking about what discussion topics we want to bring up here. Um, and you had mentioned things like homebrewing as in rules, yeah. as in ripping out rule systems that you don't like, that don't fit your settings, supplanting them with rules from other games, yep. or even uh, writing your own. Yeah, that's what I think of when I think of homebrew. But I've actually been reading that people have been using the term homebrew, meaning I'm not playing a stock campaign or a session like Mm -hmm. i'm not going to the store and buying you know tomb of horrors and playing it if i'm not playing tomb of horrors but i'm still in the DD world it's a homebrew and that's i I mean i guess that's true but in my brain that's like no you're just playing DD. well i I think there's layers to it yeah you know i think there's layers to it and 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 not everybody feels comfortable with going in and you know well like i did in my in my world um magic works a little differently in my setting so uh we were playing dungeons and dragons third edition but uh i ripped out the wizard class entirely and um, supplanted it with the spellcraft mechanics and the uh, spellcasting mechanics and sanity mechanics from Call of Cthulhu D20. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. That was a mess, but it was so beautiful. Oh, yes. And then uh, we won't even get into games where you never get out of character creation because your character can die in character <laughs> creation. But that's a whole other system. So, so kind of rolling through our topic here. So mm-hmm. we're talking about not only kit bashing and grabbing rules from different systems, but we're also saying that we want to maintain that mood. We want to not – now that we've got this system, we want to invoke that mood. You know, I know one of the things you do exceptionally well is bring mood music into it. Oh, yeah, And I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah. important, much like our intro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think keeping that – I mean there's a lot of tools now out there, which is fantastic. I remember back in the day when like we first started doing these types of – uh, games, you didn't have that. We had to like play MP3s on the side and before that do other things like oh, God. have when, movies when, on the background. When you and I started, we didn't even have the internet to go <laughs> no, off of. So it really. was a lot of talk to your big brother and yep. uh, ask him what happened in his game last week. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and just hope for the best. But I think some of our stuff that we have now gives us that and then also including things like signature NPCs like you know if I'm going to be doing a campaign that involves uh, demons will I include Lucifer mm. like will I include names that you know that I'm pulling from people's memories like in 7C one of the biggest things that uh, you can do is pull directly from uh, existing lore that people recognize because it can be part of the game so I can bring in somebody like Red Cap. And see people go, wait a second. I know that name. I, I know there's a, a, a some kind of a goblin or something named Red Cap and re- is this the same thing? And so you get that imagery already starting to form in their head. You do. And, th- and that's, a, that's a great way to add a good dash of flavor to your story, I think. Um, but 
I mean, you got to be you got to be careful with that sort of thing because it does come the double edged sword of players bringing prior knowledge into things. Yeah. You name drop somebody, you know, be it someone you know from pop from 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 folklore like Lucifer or Red Cap or something like that, or someone from you know from the setting like you're playing Dragonlance and you drop Sturm Brightblade or something. Right, like that. right. People who know the setting because they've read they've read every book or right. you know they grew up with this or they have a friend who talks incessantly about it or something. Um, they're going to come in with some preconceived notions about that, and yeah. they they may that there's there's some danger of metagaming when you do that. Well, I agree with that statement, and I think you you run into that to a fair degree with people who've you know the old dice, someone who's played D and D for you know you know fifteen years, twenty years, thirty years. Yep. They know the monsters. They know what what at this level this monster should or should not be able to do. Mm-hmm. I think one of the coolest things you did in one of the games was throw at us uh, something that we kind of know what it is, which was a troll, mm-hmm. and kind of had an expectation of, but then gave it a twist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what he's referring to is uh, – there was a, a kind of a named troll, you know, kind of like a named boss, like you'd see in a video game. You know, that was a uh, uh, lived near this town and kind of antagonized them, and decided to come into town one day and literally just move into the boathouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the villagers kind of ran away. Nobody was really hurt, but uh, they they'd hired our party here in my D and D game to come and uh, either get rid of or exterminate this troll. And uh, my my boyfriend's character, who is the, the party's bard, kind of sauntered out into the middle of the town square and just kind of gazed at it from a distance and was looking at the miniature on the board and kind of going, I know how far away I can be from this He thing was counting the cubes. I, I don't know that he was counting he the cubes. He was counting the cubes. <laughs> but he was like, I can be here and I'm out of reach. Yeah. And the next turn, that troll was in his face and he suddenly was uh, regretting most of his life decisions. Oh, yeah. Without um, a doubt. Without a doubt. And that was simply because I subverted their expectations by tweaking a few of the stats, one of which was just adding an extra 10 feet of movement to that yeah. troll. Just something to shuffle it up a little bit so mm-hmm. that you couldn't come into that with prior knowledge for exactly that reason. Right. I wanted Crushmaw to be a little scarier, a little out of the box for you guys. So that he could kind of be that that little more epic, right? But also so that you know, if you did come in with pre- preconceived notions of, oh, I know what a D and D troll is, right? Well, surprise, <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I think you did that exceptionally well. And one of the things that I think you in doing that you're setting a precedence, mm-hmm. which I think is important because one of the things is in you making a change in something like that. Um, the difference between doing that and just, I don't know, being a DM dick, which is a thing that happens, That's a thing. you know, That's a uh, where you just make a rule up on the fly because you don't like what your players are doing in that direction. I think that's a, 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 a terrible way to go. But I think you knew that you had already altered that. So watching this character who thought they knew what was going on, which funny enough. He really did play that character flawlessly. Oh, it was beautiful. It was like, a, it, the, how that scene happened was beautiful. It was flawless. It was absolutely flawless because he thought 
he knew because right. hey, I've got the lore. I've read the books on these things. I know how far they can go. But, his, and, but, but the funny thing is, even if that was an in, even if that was an out of character decision on his part, it played perfectly for his character was because he's this perfect. smug, arrogant, noble asshole character. That it, just, he was perfect. <laughs> it was. It, I mean, literally, he it's is just a troll. I've got this exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I love when those kind of role playing moments can come around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that really is what the kind of stories you want. You want mm-hmm. that energy coming out of the game you want you know especially in a D game like you're running yeah you want this to be fun you want this to be a game where stories come out of it yes exactly and those kind of things do happen and mm-hmm. i think that's part of that evoking and i uh you know before we we get too lost in this um i do want to say that when you're thinking of a theme and you're thinking of your story and you're thinking about how you want your players to react you want to Think of it a lot like an experience. You know, hey, you know, if I was a singer and I'm trying to pull the heartstrings of of the people, I'm not going to, you know, ode to a, a heavy drum sequence and and ridiculous electronics. I'm going right. to be passionate or I'm going to be evoke sadness. So Think about the theme and think about what you want your players to feel like at the end of the night. I mean if you want your players to be terrified and going home and the next time they say, hey, can we start this game at 9 o'clock in the morning because I'd like to be able to sleep that night. So if we end by 1, I can spend a few hours in the corner rocking and get some sleep at night, you know, kind of a thing. (laughs) And that's the mark of a good storyteller. I mean people go and get scared out of their minds at movies all the time and they love that kind of stuff. But that's not for every player. So I think in one of our future uh, podcasts, we're definitely going to have to go over picking the players. Oh yeah, yeah, and making yeah. sure you're you're picking the right players for your settings. So you're not constantly changing the feel. Sure, but sure. I think in certain examples like your story, there's always going to be times when you're going to create a little bit of dread in your story. You're mm-hmm. going to create a little bit of horror in a story that is about heroes doing heroic things. So each scene can have its own feel. But again, your you're, I'm getting my alerts here. Uh, you're getting that feeling to evoke throughout the whole story of what the overall kind of theme you want to set, what kind of setting you want to set. All right. I think so, it's, a, it's a good place to put that discussion to rest. Fair um, enough. So we're going to move into our next section here uh, where uh, we're doing – what do we agree on? Five-minute questions? I think five minutes is a good, a good way to go with this. So, so I'll, set, I'll get the timers ready. What Rob and I have done is uh, we – since this is our first podcast, we have uh, pulled some questions just uh, off of various forums on the internet and such like that. We but, uh, have not shared these by the way. No, we have not shared this with each other. Um, so these are complete ambush questions. In fact, I've got a document right here on my tablet that says ambush questions. Yeah. And I have my own. <laughs> um, so, what we would love, though, um, is for this uh, for this section to turn into a uh, a listener question section. Exactly. So, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, at st underscore conclave. Uh, we're also on Instagram, and if you go on our Twitter, uh, we we do have a Discord. We're going to be probably making. There'll some, be a link up there shortly. There, there'll be some link uh, a link up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, we're going we're gonna to do this right. We're actually going to roll a die here to see who gets to go first. So high gets first. We're rolling for initiative. All right. Rolling for initiative. Uh-oh. I oh. think I'm going to lose this okay. one. I, I, you've not you've, you've not <laughs> seen me roll initiative in a while, buddy. See? Oh. What did I tell oh, you? How so you he roll? rolls an eight. I roll, eight. I roll a two. All right. All right. So clock is going up. All right. All right. Remember so, how this goes. So right. so I, I have to answer this first. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Is that, yeah. is that yes, where we're yes. going? Yes, yes. You get, you get the first question shot at you. So okay. I am firing the first question. Let me see if I can find one that I really want here. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, 
okay, do, do I start hard or do I start easy? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of questioning here which one I want to go with. Ask me your, bridge, your questions, Bridge Keeper. I'm not afraid. Oh, yeah. Uh, questions three. All right. Uh, you know what? Because I'll, be, I'll start off nice. I'll give you an I'll, I'll give you an easy pass. The hard part is going to be you're going to have to finish it in five minutes. Okay, that's going to be the hard part. Okay, okay. All right, you ready? Okay. What do you consider must haves for a good one shot? Oh goodness! You ready? Uh, Hit it. Okay. So, interest of dis- full disclosure here, uh, I am not good at one shots. So, uh, this is actually a very weak question for me. Um, Things for a one-shot. Must-haves for a one-shot. Yeah. Okay. I think first off, uh, if you're going to run a one-shot, um, it has to be memorable. Um, like you've only got – you don't have a, a whole campaign behind you to be able to establish characters, to establish theme and mood, to build up to your things. So every um, every plot moment, every beat in that story I think needs to punch you need to come in strong with a uh, – you know, establish the setting, establish the characters, establish the problem. You need to build that up to a punchy <laughs> climax. You then need to have a punchy res- punchy and flashy resolution. Um, so I think go big or go home. Um, think of it I would say probably like a Hollywood blockbuster movie. You know, you've only got two hours in a Hollywood blockbuster movie. You're not a Netflix series. It's going to run for seven seasons. Mm-hmm. So – You've got to get in. You've got to establish your settings, your characters, your everything. Throw some Michael Bay explosions in there and uh, roll credits. Okay. Okay. Um, so in that, I would I would probably pull out all the stops of things like background music. Um, okay. I would uh, – I mean definitely some voice acting if you think you can pull it off. Okay. Um, props. Oh. Props make – a very memorable experience. Now, are you um, talking minis and setup? Or well, you... no, no. I'm talking. I, I'm I'm talking maybe maybe simpler, but maybe more complicated than that. Um, okay. For instance, uh, you know, you have a a messenger run into the tavern and say, uh, "I'm I'm looking for Lord Thalian Arroway." Okay. Um, and your so your character is like, "Oh, I'm Lord Thalian Arroway," and say, "Okay, the 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 boy hands you an envelope signed with a you know pressed with the with the wax seal of the ah. king." Don't describe it to them. Hand them an envelope with a wax seal on it. Nice. Okay. It's really it's just a piece of paper and some you know you can find tutorials on on uh, online of how to mix a crayon you know down sure, sure, sure. Ceiling, cheap no, sealing right. wax. I'm with you. I'm following you. Now. Use the back of a spoon for a seal. I mean, it's common so, household items, but real that, life props of in game moments. Exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly. I like this. Um, I like even this. even things like mood lighting. Um, like I for for instance, I I know I said I I'm not a very big one shot person because I'm very long winded and I like to build my stories. <sighs> Really, I know. Um, but uh, I was actually thinking about running a, a game of Dread for Halloween. Okay. Uh, so, you know, even things like mood lighting of like, you know, maybe you tell that story with the lights dimmed down and some candles as your major light source. Because, I mean, really all you got to see is the Jenga tower, right? Oh, well, that's true. That's true. You know? Okay. Uh, so things like that, I think, are, are going to be going to be great for punctuating what you want that story to be. It's going to be very memorable when you walk away from it. Okay. Uh, the other piece of advice I would drop, um, and me- maybe it's not a must-have, uh, but I suppose it's a it's a must-do. Okay. And that is keep it simple. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, if you only have four hours to establish a story, I mean, I, I, I don't know how anybody else's gaming group is, but I know our gaming group, mm-hmm. four hours can be lost in a tavern just shooting the breeze. Oh, God, yeah. Um, because one character decides they want to talk to the innkeeper about what's various going on and somebody else wants to do an arm wrestling contest and et cetera, et cetera, yes. you know, um, which is great. If you have the time for those things, right. if you're running a long campaign, you absolutely have the time to just kind of let those scenes go and let characters be characters. And I, and I love that. But in a one shot, you kind of need to keep things moving. You don't have a lot of time for plot twists and red herrings and such like that. So keep it simple is your your main rule there. You're going to need a a problem that needs to get solved, probably a villain trying to be a dick somehow. You're going to need a group of heroes who say, we want to stop him from being a jerk. And then you need to have a, a, a journey to that conflict, a conflict, a resolution, and a, uh, and a, a, a cool down, you know, roll credits at the end. Okay. It has to be very linear. Okay. So. Not so much on rails, but linear. Yeah, lin- definitely linear. You don't have a lot of time for branches or choices or red herrings. Um, because you could you could lose three hours on a red herring if you throw a clue in there that's supposed to draw them off. What if it works? Right. What if it does draw them off, and then suddenly your plot's lost, and then it's you know midnight, and everybody's like, we don't have any more time to play. So keep it N- simple. Nicely done. Nicely done. I will I will give you that one. That was solid five minutes. Thank you, sir. Thank well, you, sir. Well, 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 run off your feet there. All right. All right. Now I'm in trouble. Okay. So let's see here. Uh, this one uh, I pulled off of the DM Academy subreddit. Okay. Uh, user's name was ODL99. So oh God, he actually got if somewhere out there you are listening, thank oh, you so much. Uh, we're right. gonna uh, we're gonna answer your question on the air here. All right. All right. Uh, so ODL ODL99 says this is my first campaign, and uh, <laughs> I'm an experienced player, and my players are a little less so. Every session, they continue to ask questions that shouldn't be answered, e.g., what's the stats? Is he the bad guy? What should we do? Did I do it right? And other things that would break immersion or ruin the story. And they're quite persistent in asking them. And the only things I can do are stay quiet or say I can't answer that. So I've uh, I've been beginning to think that there has to be a better way of going about things. What should I say or do? Hmm. All right. All right. So first thing I'd have to say is it sounds like they're all relatively new to yes. role playing in general. They're probably young to to game systems in general and they're they're thinking of it more like a board game. Um personally, I would uh I would establish some boundaries. I think that's one of the most important things in gaming is understanding how the system works. And some people just don't get what they can and cannot do. Now, I would think that there might have been a situation earlier that could have set this up where maybe he gave something up. Uh, and that giving of information is obviously dangerous at any level. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if they're persistent about this um, because they're trying to fact find or they're trying to be specific about it, 
I would say what I would do is give them a understanding of the math mechanics that are going on in the background, that they should keep track of things. I mean, obviously, if somebody wants to know the stats of a monster, that's pretty specific and not something that they should know off the top of their head. I mean, this isn't Magic the Gathering where I can look across the table at the card and I know that that card, you know, is is this. Mm -hmm. It is a little blind, but once you start making attacks, you, especially in like a D&D style game, it's quick to figure out what's going on. I think you should draw them off of fights for a little while. Don't give them the advantage. Make them role play in other ways. Have them go talk to a guard. Like try to break into someplace. Imprison them in some way. Gas them out of something. Give them encounters that throw them off of their game and make them role play through the situation or use other skills where stats aren't nearly that important for them and make the game less about the mechanics of the individual numbers and more about the gameplay itself. Because if it's just a grind through a dungeon, you're not going to enjoy it as a storyteller. Like you're not getting to the story. You're literally just throwing goblins at people until they get to higher levels. There are other things you can do down there, especially if someone's in a dungeon. Let's say for the sake of argument that this person put somebody that, you know, he built this as a dungeon run. Right, He's got a stock you know, kind of typical dungeon where you've got traps and monsters and things like that. Instead of throwing more monsters at them, throw events at them. Throw moments at them that they have to get through. Give them a puzzle that they have to try and figure out so that the stats aren't nearly as important as trying to get through the scenario. Sure, yeah, there are rats coming at you. You can kill them pretty much in one swing. The problem is they don't stop coming. They just don't stop coming. And there's obviously something in the room that's causing it or they're going to have to back out of there. So change up the scenario. Force them into a different style of role play. Give them something social. Take them to a ball. Make them talk their way through a scenario. Make them use their charisma. <clears throat> uh, give them a library. Make them do research. Mm. Make them discover. Because if, hey, if they want to look about look up numbers and stats – Make them go talk to somebody about it. Make them use other skill sets to get that information or make them make a role. I mean, sure. Hey, I'm a barbarian. What's the stats on this thing? That's a fine question. Why don't you roll your, you know, uh, I don't know, animal handling? I don't have that. Well, you can make a role. You know, you're at a penalty. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to get those bonuses. But if they give a natural 20, sure, give them some stats, but not number stats. Let them know that the armor is as thick as yours. His hide is as thick as your armor. The last time you knew somebody encountered it was Gorthunk, the great slayer. And the only way that he could, hard, could hurt this thing was with a great mace that he had since every sword that he swung across it broke. You know, mm -hmm. throw those kind of facts at them. So you're not giving them stats, but you're giving them a – role-playing experience of the story. You turn you turn your answer around and draw them back into the story. Exactly, exactly. Right. Because silence is not a storyteller's strong point. It should never be. Mm -hmm. You're Unless the story is being told by everybody at the table, you should be assisting them through description, through theme, through music to understand what the world's about. So give them those descriptions. You don't have to necessarily give them the numbers. Mm -hmm. So – that would be my take on, on at least on that scenario. I would I would turn it back on the players a little. Okay. Okay. So, good. So yeah, it gives me twenty seconds too. How about gives you twenty seconds? Aha. All Aha. right. All right. Five minutes. Five minutes on the clock for you. Five minutes on the clock. All and right. Another Let's another curveball. 
Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to give you this one. I remember this one. Okay. All right. So fight me. What do you do when some of your players want social interaction and the others are bored and just want to fight? How do you create balance? Oh, okay. So I'm bad. I didn't write down anybody's names for these. I'll do that in the future. All right. So this this is this is an interesting situation. I think it happens at a lot of tables. Uh, I, I, I dare say I think it's happened at every table I've ever sat at, whether a player or or as a storyteller. Um, where you're trying to give a, a rounded, a varied experience, and of course you do want to have some social intrigue in there because it's a it's a it's a really fun thing to do, um, and you know it gets you it gets you out of the dungeon, it puts the swords away for a little while, and right. you know you want your villain to be a little more sophisticated or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I think there's there's definitely some instances, yeah, where. Uh, you do have those players who want to like they're just kind of there to roll combat mechanics. Sure. And they wanna you know, if you're if you're not fighting, well then why are you there? Um, right. So I th- I think there's two things you can do with this. Okay. Um one's a preemptive measure and one is a pro uh, is, is is a reactive measure, I suppose. Uh the so for the preemptive measure is I, I think before you go into a story you should definitely set expectations. Okay. Um, I mean, honestly, this is just good life advice is set proper expectations. Oh, yeah. Um, but especially true when you have a gathering of friends and you're all going to be sitting around the table for a shared experience like a role-playing game, mm-hmm. setting proper expectations of what will happen in that role-playing game is very valuable. And I think it can cut a lot of these things off at the head. Where if your players are feeling bored that maybe there's not a combat encounter right now and they don't feel like they can get involved in the social or they just don't want to get involved in the social. Right. At least if you've had that conversation ahead of time of there will be some social and there will be some combat, Mm -hmm. they know, okay, this is a social part. There will be combat later because we talked about this. Mm -hmm. That expectation was set. Maybe I can just be a little more patient right now. Right. You know, Um, and and likewise, uh, think of how your social characters feel during combat situations because it's the exact same for them of like, well, I built my character as talky and now we're in an all out brawl. Right. And I'm sorry, words, you know, words aren't going to cut it here. Figuratively or literally, right. So uh, they're also kind of feeling like, well, shit, I'm in the I'm in the corner, and I've I've cast my one spell, and I've got a dagger. That's great, right. but you know, wait till things get back into the social arena, so I can eviscerate some people, right? Um, the the other thing I think is kind of a um as a reactive measure is uh help. Your players understand that they can still be involved even if they're not playing a social character. Um, I will uh, hearken back to Critical Role here for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for, for I, I know not everybody not everybody watches it, but it is very popular. Um, in the first season, uh, the first series of it, uh, Travis Wellingham plays a uh, Goliath barbarian uh, called Str- Grog Strongjaw. And he is dumb as a post and honestly, the character was no more complicated when he originally wrote him because this was Travis's first time playing than I want to hit things. Can I play a character with a big axe? 
Yeah, you should play a Goliath Barbarian. All right, that sounds great. And honestly, I mean, at his at his core, Grog didn't evolve much more than that. I mean, there's I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people tweeting at me right. Don't 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 tweet at me right now. I I know I'm a big fan. I'm a big Grog fan, but um, but he always stayed true to that kind of core of his character. I mean, he is dumb as a post. He's just a, a, a large man carrying a larger axe. Right. And when he got involved in social, he would get involved in social situations all the time. And just because he was the group's tank, he was the group's brawler, doesn't mean that there's not entertainment value, whether it be because it's going to be hilariously bad mm-hmm. or maybe you've got some insight that the rest of the group doesn't have because of your station in the group, because of your particular you know place in the party, um, that – you know, if you do get involved in, in 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 a social situation, that you don't have something to contribute. Okay. You know, don't be afraid if you're a combat character to roll up your sleeves and do some talking, because honestly, some of the best scenes come from the fish out of water sort of people. Okay. Just because you carry an axe doesn't mean you can't also speak up. Okay. Okay. And um, that's my answer. I I, I think it is a. I think it's a valid answer. I think you're definitely. I think your ba- your your better answer was, or your your part of your answer there was, have the DM set the expectations, mm-hmm. and then also convince your players to play the other side to yeah, do yeah. something to be social or to be more combat like. Um, I think there's something more to be said there, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping next week you're willing to say that. Oh sure, 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 sure. Yeah, there's there's definitely our our game is next week. Yes, and we have our uh, game is or, short. Or, or, our game is Saturday. Is, is is Saturday, and uh, there's a situation actually very much like that that's that's bound to come up. Yeah, I'm, and we'll we'll have more to say on that topic. I'm I sure. am I am hoping because we do have a major social character in our story, and uh, I think uh, it will be quite interesting to see how that wraps together. Yeah, and we well, that, and that's the thing is our our party is very stretched between we've got a major social character all the way into we've got. The brawler. Correct. Correct. We'll and see how that so goes. So we're yeah. We'll we'll see how that goes. We'll so I'm gonna look at our engineer and see do how, do we have time for one more question before we do wrap up at the end? Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let's do one more. All right. We got one. We got all one right. more. So I get all to right. return fire on this. All right. One, one more for turn fire. All right. This one also comes from the uh, the DM Academy uh, subreddit. Uh, this one goes out to Robot Hype Juice. Okay. I love the name. By all the right. way, thank you. Uh, who asks? Okay. I'm getting ready to start a new campaign this week, All right. and I'm not quite sure what to do about townsfolk. <laughs> Should I drop full character sheets for them? <laughs> Brief notes? Do they have classes and backstories, or do I just wing a random voice and personality to ad-lib the different people? This seems a bit of a silly question, but I'm really not sure how much time to put into NPCs. That is a fantastic question. I thought it was great. It is. It is a fantastic question. It is an exceptionally hard question to answer Mm -hmm. because I've done both. I have winged it and failed horribly. Mm -hmm. I have written up dozens of characters only to find out that my players avoid the town completely. Yep. Like literally just not care about – or bulldoze the entire town like it's no big deal. So as a storyteller, I will have to say it's a balance. Um, It has to matter a lot to you whether or not they're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the most important thing that I can say is you really got to watch it like a movie or a TV show. There's all kinds of background people. There always are going to be background people. And when you present characters, are, uh, these NPCs to the players, they're going to either directly interact with them or they're going to treat them like tissue paper. 
And a lot of that's going to depend on how you set up that interaction. Obviously, if players are coming into town and they're going to meet and they know they're going to have to meet a guard or they know they're going to have to meet a, a captain of the guard or they know they're going to have to meet a an innkeep, having those players with some basic information is always good. And one of the things that I, I, I loved about uh, some other systems, like for instance, when uh, creating characters for um, – uh, Vampire the Masquerade mm-hmm. is you had nature and demeanor. Oh yeah, and I, I, yeah. I, I, it took me a while. I would say as a youthful person to figure out like what that really meant as far as playing the character. But as I grew up, I realized that was an important component for for NPCs. You needed to know how they posed themselves, how they presented themselves to the players, as well as what was really going on in the background. Mm-hmm. And, uh. Another friend of mine, uh, Chris, uh, was telling me – and we were actually having a conversation about this topic, about dealing with NPCs and one of, and the little things. And one of the things that he loved was um, characters in the background that you recognize. Like for instance, um, he was talking about uh, a specific um, uh, Shadowrun moment uh, where players would be in a bar and they'll see – a corp logo on one of the guy's jackets, probably one of the security guards. Now, they can choose to interact with him or not, but they notice he's at the bar, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if he's at the bar at the same time as they are and for as late as they are, the next day when he's on his post, he's going to look like hell. He's going to have bloodshot eyes. He's going to be tired because he was at the bar. There's probably a reason why he was at the bar. So keeping that kind of information important is important to you because that's the reason why there's an easy access point through the front door. He's not going to be that challenging to get through because he was at the bar. So having specific characters that have meaning to you, sure, write them up. You don't have to go in superior detail for combat logistics unless that's an important thing to have. Like – um, if you know you're going to be building a layer for your bad guy, you know your main primary villain, and you're expecting your players to fight their way through that, sure, have some basic stats for all of your brutes, but have specific henchmen that they could run into. Have your, if you're familiar with Princess Bride, your Count Verdugo that you know exactly who that guy is, but also have like thirty or forty other random Joes, mm-hmm. you know, who are in front of him. You know, whereas if you're going into a town, you're going to have all kinds of random people who aren't going to have names, who really probably aren't going to even want to interact with the players. But your innkeeper is going to have a name and he's going to have a way that he carries himself or she carries herself. And what really is going on the background, what matters to her and keep those simple. Keep their drive simple because then they're simple people. They're not the heroes of the story. They're not the villains of the story, Mm -hmm. but they have meaning. And then if the players attach themselves to it, keep writing, keep adding, give them flavor. But again, only let it go so far because, again, you don't want these to be permanent NPCs unless you're building a world where the players are creating their own as they're moving through it. Right. If it's your story, you can push it in a direction and use those NPCs and the trust they build or the trust they don't build mm-hmm. with the players to develop what your story can go to. Yeah. 
Okay, sounds good. You're Honestly, like... I, I think I think we could do an entire show about NPCs. I, oh, if you I ask think me. we probably will do a show. About I, NPCs I know I've again. I've got it. I've got a twenty minute answer to that question, but I wanted to hear what yours was. <laughs> well, I, I hope it was uh, satisfactory. No, and, I think it's great. Uh, I, I, it's great. I, I I will see if we can uh, we can get a link to our our show to those uh, Reddit threads so that those people can listen. <laughs> to, yeah, to at least our ideas and 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 come back with their own things on that. Uh, so I'm going to let you queue up next week's topic before we. Close. Okay, so next week uh, we're going to be talking about social combat. Ooh. Uh, so Words bite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, in a lot of games, Seventh um, C, which mm-hmm. which Rob loves, oh, uh, and uh, next week in my D and D game, where our uh, aforementioned asshole bard noble is uh, going to be. <laughs> Waltzing his way into the social arena okay. and uh, rubbing elbows with other nobles and such like that. Um, so I kind of want to do a little bit of a breakdown of what happens there. Um, kind of branching off the topic of you know certain game systems are good at certain things. D and D is a very good combat system, but it's not a great social system. On the surface at least. So what can we do about that? So what can we do about that? How can we engage in social combat in the framework of various rule systems? What are good ways to go about that? Representing the infinite complexities of persuasion, of intimidation, of favor, of infamy, of reputation – uh, and things like that. I'm looking forward to this uh, on the micro and the macro scale. So, well, excellent. That sounds like it's going to be a fantastic topic. Um, just to put it out there, you can find us on Twitter at uh, st underscore conclave or on Instagram. Uh, from the same st underscore conclave. Uh, we will be putting the Discord link up there back again on Twitter as soon as we are uh, ready to let people flow in there. Um. We would also like to throw out a special thank you to our intro music, uh, Beyond the Warriors by Goofrog. I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, but uh, you can find uh, that and our outro music, which will be going shortly here, uh, call, that is uh, Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. Both are available at freemusicarchive.org. And I do want to give a special shout out to our hosts here today, uh, Podcast Detroit. You can find them on Twitter at Podcast Detroit and uh, online at PodcastDetroit.com. And uh, one last little shout out here just to our families and friends. Uh, big shout out to Vicky and a big shout out to Sean, uh, our yes. uh, our respective significant others uh, for all their love and support. And of course to all of our friends who have sat at our tables and shared them and Helped us uh, have all these great role-playing experiences throughout the years. Yes, and to you, our listeners, who will be hopefully following us forever uh, as we go through this crazy journey that we are starting today. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful evening, and may your stories be beautiful. We have been the Storyteller Conclave. 